0: You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. High drive, deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Player out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzie Albie! Watson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com on, on the previous iteration of Road to Atlanta or on over on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K. Joining me as usual, we have Gaurav Vidak and Matt Powers. Who have been joining me every week since we've relaunched the Road to Atlanta podcast? They've been working with me over a Talking Chop for a long time. We love talking about baseball, especially minor league baseball. We do it every day, and once a week, we decide to give you guys a little bit of a window into kind of what conversations we, what types of conversations we are having on basically a daily basis. Grab, how are you, sir?
2: I'm doing really well, man. I'm excited to drop this uh, this video tomorrow as well.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Uh, make sure that you guys are going over to YouTube because, uh, we have a Road to Atlanta YouTube channel now. And there's gonna be, Grov is kind of spearheading a lot of video work that we're gonna, that he's gonna be doing. Uh, I'll probably be chipping in here and there, assuming we can get Matt to move to the Atlanta area. We can maybe get him involved in that as well. Uh, but this is gonna be kind of more of a, like a fun sort of, Shedding some light on the people and the personalities surrounding the Braves. I believe the video coming out is uh, a kind of a longer form interview with maybe some video games involved with Jim Powell.
2: Yeah, correct. So it ended up being what, what was in place was supposed to be a standard like 15 to 20 minute interview, but he was so amazing. It ended up lasting almost, almost an hour. So we actually broke it down into about three segments and we're doing all, we're going back and forth. We're playing Call of Duty. It's just a fun time.
1: I'm looking forward to it because I mean I, I I like those types of those types of stories because we do a lot of kind of on, like deep dive analysis of the minor leagues and the major leagues but like those those the stories of the people behind the people really do like matter quite a bit and we want to kind of shed some light on those types of stories and Jim Powell's been around for a long time and I I do like him as a like on the radio on the radio broadcast I I greatly prefer the radio broadcast to the the television one. Uh, it's certainly gotten better this year, but overall I definitely prefer the radio. So it's nice that we get, you had a chance to sit down with him and, you know, get to kind of get to know him a little bit better beyond just the kind of, you know, just that, that voice of the sort of the Braves broadcast. Matt, how are you, man? What's going on with you?
3: Great. At this point, just waiting for the draft to approach. At this point, we're really starting to get up closer and find out a lot more information that's coming out, both the true information and the, intentional false information that gets put out around the draft.
1: Yeah, I want all of you to love anything as much as Matt loves the draft. I mean, like, I, I get probably, I don't know, I would say around 50 messages from him a day, whether it be in our group chat or just, just to me about what's going on with the draft he, or what we think's going on with the draft and what could be in play and what could not be in play. And this information changes constantly, and Matt is really on top of kind of – collating all that information, you know, Matt's going to have his opinions and obviously all of us are going to have our different opinions, but what's fascinating is kind of how the narrative and how the, the, where players are going to get picked and what teams are trying to do, how that evolves right up until draft day. And that's going to be something that changes. And we're going to do our best to keep you up to date with that. Uh, with that in mind next week, is going to be a big part of that. Is that we're going to have one Carlos Colazzo from Baseball America, their, their uh, newly minted draft guru and former talking chop writer, he's going to come and join us, and we're going to do a deep dive into kind of what's going on with the draft. We're going to, you know, try to get, make sense of what the Braves could be doing and who they're looking at for the moment, anyway. Um, again, we, we still think there's a lot of information that's being, you know, they're still trying to figure out, you know, what they can sign guys for, who they think they're going to be available. So don't expect anything definitive next week. But Carlos is great. He's really kind of plugged into the whole process, and hopefully we'll be able to get some more information. Also, the current plan is to have Kylie McDaniel back on the podcast before the draft. It's a little bit tricky for him because right now he's traveling a lot to watch draft prospects and things like that. We were going to try to have him on this week. Couldn't quite make it work in terms of scheduling. He was just kind of bouncing all over the country and having to do a lot of other different stuff, especially with his responsibilities over in Fangraphs. So the current plan is to try to have him on soon before the draft, but... I would imagine it would be probably uh, not the, the week after Carlos is on in some form or fashion. We'll see what happens. Um, but that's not really what we're here to talk about. We're going to be doing a bit of a mailbag episode uh, this go-around in the meantime while we're kind of in a bit of a holding pattern partially because we haven't really – there's not a whole lot of crazy news other than the Austin Riley promotion, which uh, uh going to talk about here in a second. But we're going to go over some few top promo, pr- performers, and then we did ask for some questions on Twitter, and we're going to kind of go over those. And go forth. So, Garav, give us your kind of the top top performers, and I'm one of those names in particular. Is going to, you know, kind of come up. uh, You know, is going to be a familiar one if we've been listening the last few weeks.
2: So, Austin Riley has a 1.212 OPS over his last ten games over in Gwinnett, and then he comes up here, and after one game, his OPS is even higher. (laughs) And then leading off this, not leading off, but. Earlier in this game, he hits a home run, or not a home run, but a ball that should have been a home run had he had, like, if he could bench maybe an ounce more, it would go, like, half an inch more and count as a 2 or
1: Or hit it anywhere else in the ballpark. Literally
2: anywhere else, and it's a home run. Like, the guy is unconscious right now. He's, he's not getting fooled by anything. Uh, elite speed. Is, is, isn't a problem for him. Uh, he, he's recognized. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I never said that. Uh, he's not having, he's seeing the ball at an incredible level. He, he hasn't walked in the majors yet, but again, it's one game. Uh, he's not striking out. He's walking well. He's ma- when he makes contact, he's mashing the ball. He still provides really good value, uh, defensively at third. I, I'm, I'm interested in when that, First start at third is going to be, and I wanted to see how he does, but, you know, in Gwinnett, he was doing fantastic. Left field, it's been a, it's been interesting. Uh, he he doesn't have the greatest range, but again, I'm basing it off a sample size of one game, so who knows. Uh, but the guy's not going anywhere. He's going to be in Atlanta for the rest. I'm so excited.
3: And I do just want to make that comment. You said he's not striking out, but that's not actually true. It only happens when Garov decides to tweet out before the (laughs) attack.
2: Literally, no, like two seconds later.
1: Garov is absolutely the kiss of death. If you want someone to have a bad game, have Grov say he's going to go nuts. Uh, <laughs> particularly <laughs> Austin Riley not striking out, he will strike out. It's one hundred percent going to happen. Uh, uh, who else have you got?
2: Uh, I mean, one of the get. Uh, I wanted to talk about a certain player, but I think we have we have another player that's are going to be talking about a little later. Uh, over in Gwinnett as well. But another shout-out, I guess, to Adam Duvall, who had his 13th on run of the season. Uh, it really seems like... I don't know how much is the AAA ball is impacting. I'm sure it has to do with those power numbers. But, you know, he's doing extremely well. He's forcing he's forcing the Braves to try and make some interesting decisions about possibly, like, adding him on the bench. You add him on the bench, too, and you have people like Camargo. You have Duvall. You, you are creating a very, very good lineup. They just need the pitchers to work out now, but, like, this lineup not only is super young, but it's filled with talent, and with Dansby starting to hit his stride, like, Atlanta, they're looking good for the next, like, six to eight years. This is really fun baseball to watch.
1: See, I think it's more likely that they move Duvall, honestly, because I just don't think that they're going to move Matt Joyce out of the role that he's in. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I feel like that they could, they could get more value out of maybe trading Duval away and keeping mashing. Oh, goals. totally, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. But I, it's interesting just because of how well he's. Played. I mean, Rafael Ortega, in Gwynette's played really well. That whole outfield, like especially when Austin Riley was mashing in there, like that outfield was insane. And it, like Inguanet hasn't skipped a beat. You know, with Austin Riley getting promoted, that like everyone's hitting home runs, uh, and it makes you wonder kind of what's in the water down there. But um overall. I agree. Uh, we do have another – I know that has specifically wanted a guy – we haven't We got a question in the mailbag about that guy, so we'll kind of push that back just a little bit. But, um, Matt, who have you got in terms of top performers? So
3: I'll go with the new guy first instead of the guy that we've been talking about a lot. But Kyle Muller has really started to stand out, and I you have forgotten about the start of the year already. He was not very good in April. I mean he was no. just not able to find the strikes out. The first three times he started, he didn't even make it four innings in any of those starts. I think he walked four guys, four guys, six guys. Uh, from there, he got a little bit better, but, I mean, there was still a five-walk start in there, and it, the command was just such a mess through those first five starts of the year, but he's really turned it around since. I mean, since actually it was his first May start that really seemed to be the start of him turning the corner, He went on May 5th, seven innings with just three walks, no runs given up, no earned runs given up. Then another seven innings on the 10th, he walked two, gave up a run. And then his most recent start was yesterday, and he went six and two-thirds, gave up an earned run, only walked two. So from a guy who was walking four, four, six, five, with the lone exception in there being two over five and a third, to having walked a total of seven guys over his last 20 and two-thirds innings. I mean, he's finally hitting the strike zone, pitching well. He's given up two earned runs over those 20 and two-thirds innings. He's also struck out 16 in that time, with a couple six-strikeout games in there as well. I mean, you can't ask for him to be doing much better considering he's, what, 21 at this point, and he's already in double-A, so he's just, right now pitching like the guy that we were hoping he would be at the start of the year
1: it's a little insane that you that he's 21 because it feels like he's been around for a long like this is this is also including a season where he was held back in rookie ball because like his velocity was down and he couldn't like command the ball to save his life uh he is a story of how like drivelines broke progr- i don't think drive lines program helps everybody in terms of like you know like pitching you know their, their pitching coaching philosophy and kind of how they do things, but I think it really does help some people, and it really helped Kyle. He got his velocity way up, to, way back up there again. Kind of worked out a lot of those mechanical issues he had, and he throws gas like it's like 96, 97 now, and with maybe a touch more if he really reaches back for it. Uh, it's all about commanding it, obviously, and there are certainly strides being made. You know what I mean? And you know. Yes, the 28 walks in 39 innings this year is a little bit unsightly, but Matt's 100 percent right. It's definitely been it's definitely been, been, it's been trending better, and it's something we're watching closely because we really like Kyle coming into the year. And there's a lot of things to like about in terms of like you know the videos that are coming out of the offseason how hard how hard he was throwing. Um, but overall, I, I I agree. He's kind of one of those guys that we kind of forget about with just the sheer number of pitching prospects. Uh, even in his own rotation, there's a lot of guys who maybe get a little bit more. Uh, press than, than he does, but he's he's been he's been good despite the walks. He's still been you know limiting the, the damage overall. So uh, who else have we got?
3: And the guy that we've talked about before, you just can't not talk about him, Trey Harris. I mean, if you look at his numbers in the last what is it nine games or so at this point, he's thirteen for his last twenty-seven. So he's basically hitting five hundred or so since the last time we actually recorded he's got a homer in there he's got uh eight rbis in that time he has walking as much as he's striking out all this guy is doing is hitting and he's hitting at a very high level like i just at this point don't understand why this 23 year old who is hitting this listen to this triple slash link on the year 383 461 586 that's a 1048 OPS. Why is he still in Rome? I mean, you can't ask for him to do anything more than what he's doing.
1: Yeah, I agree. I just, I don't, I mean, I know it's an early, those early season promotions can be tricky because you kind of have to figure out the spots above you. But he doesn't belong there. He just doesn't belong in Rome. He's too good for that league. He's the best, I think he's the best hitter in the, in the South Atlantic League right now. Uh, not saying he's the best prospect, that's not what I mean. Just in terms of just overall hitting ability, who, like, where he's at right now, he doesn't belong there. He needs to be, he needs to be getting to high A. Uh, I mean, I don't think, you know, given his age, it wouldn't be crazy if they put him in Double A, but I think more likely a move to High A is going to be likely, and I would imagine it has to come soon. He's just he's going to hit his way out of the league, and he has out of that league, and he has to figure out the Braves have to figure out what they have in him rather than just you know let him waste away in Rome. It's just, it's, it's it it's just a waste. It's just that's what it is.
3: I mean, the only reason you could think of keeping him in Rome is the outfield defense could use. Some work. I mean, he's got the athleticism and I think he's going to end up being a very strong defender in the outfield. I think it's just a matter of the fact that, and I wrote about this earlier in the week, um, uh, what I saw when I saw the Rome team, that he played so much second base in college that he's getting used to the reads and routes of an outfielder a little bit and just needs that time to develop, but it's the minor leagues having him make some slight errors defensively where he still has the speed to recover is it well worth it to promote him just to keep the bat challenged.
1: Well, my thing about that is if you want to see a guy that get a bunch of fly balls that are actually in play that normally shouldn't be, and you want to see what he can get to and what he can't, you should send him to the Florida state league because that's where home runs and fly balls go to die. And I just, I don't know. I, I, I get it. I get that there's like a lot of moving parts to, you know, moving guys in roster spots, especially position players. Pitchers, you know, you can kind of make things work and, you know, squeeze guys in, you know, with rotation spots and, you know, kind of moving, you know, going to six man rotations kind of sort of and things like that. But it, he he needs to be moved up. It's just that simple. Um, the only name I'm going to mention uh, for mine, because uh, you guys named some really good ones and we have some others that we're going to kind of be covering in the mailbag part of this. I'm gonna keep jumping up on, up and down on on Hayden Deal until he he either proves me that he's not gonna just be completely lights out or he's promoted because this guy's been insane. He has made seven starts this year and in six of them he has given up one run or less. The other start he gave up two. He's striking out batters, he's not walking a ton of guys. A couple, you know, he had a couple, a three walk game and a four walk game. All the other ones have been exemplary. He's not, opposing batters are batting one eighty eight against him. And what interests me about him is that I think he could stick as a starter. I truly do. Um but what's interesting about me is that his profile overall becomes a lot more interesting because he doesn't have the platoon splits you would expect. And I, we've talked about a little bit this about this a little bit before. Is that obviously the lefty on lefty matchup that's gonna favor him. You know, he obviously throwing from that left side. That's gonna give him you know He's going to have some advantages over left-handed batters, but he's actually been performing better against righties. And again, I've talked to a few people about this, and this is going to be an article coming out probably sometime next week, is that he has a really good cutter. I've I talked to one scout that said they put a 55 on it right now. Um, and when you have a cutter that you can, and then you also have a fastball that's you know a more true that you can throw 93, 94, and the cutters 90, 91, 92, something like that. Your profile becomes pretty interesting because there's not a lot of guys with like really good cutters. Um, that we've seen some in the major leagues, uh, in particular, we've seen like, uh, like Kluber has a good one. We've seen, um, James Paxton from the left side has a good one. When, when AJ Minter is right, he's, his is really good. It, these are all, these are all a pitch that you don't necessarily see people who are really good at and have, you have to have a lot of feel for. And he, and Hayden seemingly has it and, you know the guy has a 1.3 ERA and right? granted, it's in the Florida State League, so you have to kind of keep that in mind in terms of you know how his uh his he's getting his outs, but he's he's striking out almost a batter a batter per inning. He's not walking a ton of guys. Uh, his last start six and two thirds, one earn run. He did give up four walks. He also struck out seven batters, and he seems to consistently pitch into the sixth or seventh inning every every start out there. Uh, he's another guy that I think needs to be moved up, and then they can kind of you know, figure things out from there. Um, with that guys, we're going to, uh, take a quick break, uh, in for, you know, for some, for some advertisements. And then after that, we're going to get to these questions.
0: You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right. And we're back with the mailbag portion of road to Atlanta. This is going to be an interesting one because we have a wide varying uh, degree of topics that have been asked of us. Uh, some of them more major league uh, questions, uh, we're not going to be doing those. Uh, that'd be more for like the talking shop podcast, things like that. Um, but the first one, I'm going to, I'm going to defer a little bit to Matt to start with. I have some thoughts on this guy, but um, David did he asks, uh, who is Ben Rowan and could he actually be a thing? Only one home run in 21 triple a innings, pretty solid career minor league numbers, and has only had a couple cups of coffee in the majors despite being 30 years old. Matt, what are your thoughts on Ben Rowan, Matt? Oh, I was actually talking on mute there. So sorry about that. He's an interesting relief guy.
3: Uh, always been a guy that's been kind of noticed, but he hasn't really been able to ever put it together and get the opportunity. I mean, it seemed like forever ago at this point that he was actually a prospect of slum ability in the Texas organization. I mean, he put up some great numbers with Texas earlier in this decade. I guess that's the best way to say it. Yeah, it was a, a while say- ago. Yeah, it was that long ago, I mean, when they had a bunch of arms that were coming up at that point, and that was, I want to say that was still back when Nolan Ryan was still involved in the decision-making and Mike Maddox was involved with coaching the pitching, that that's when he was really starting to make a name for himself. He looked like a guy that could be a future closer, future setup man. I mean, he was never going to be a starter, so it's not like this is a guy that was ever a failed starter. He was always just lights out as a bullpen guy. He never actually had that massive K rate that you'd think, but the results were just insane. I mean, he had multiple years and stops with zero below one or below two, depending on which stop it was actually at. And, and he just suddenly fell off from there. I mean, the numbers were still good. They just weren't quite that level good. He kicked around to a couple different teams and organizations from there. And he really completely fell off the radar for everybody, maybe between the years 2016 or so and this year. I mean, this guy is not a guy that was really mentioned to go anywhere. I want to say last year he pitched with Louisville and AAA. And he had an ERA above nine. I mean, he did not throw many games. He just did not look like a guy that belonged in professional baseball at that point. And then he comes out this year and he's
1: dominating. I will say this correct about him. Me. I, oh, go ahead, Matt. Go ahead, Ralph.
2: I was going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I think a, mo- a lot of it has to do with his arsenal just not being too sexy. He relies on, you know, how he throws. But like his fastball sits in the low 80s and you see that against major league hitters and you're a little wary that despite his delivery that it could be hittable. I mean, that's, that's the only assumption I really have uh, as to why he never took that next step.
1: Yeah, I think that I. The idea that there's just not that many Submariner – that, that, that's what Grov's talking about is that he does have kind of that super sidearm, almost throwing it like super soft softball fast pitch uh, type delivery going for him. Uh, Gaurav, I actually need you to look this up on the Road to Atlanta account because someone with suspiciously similar last name, uh, and by that I mean the exact last name to Ben Rowan, responded to that question uh, on the Road to Atlanta account and mentioned that he not only is still throwing Submariner, but he also added a three-quarter arm slot uh to like some of his pitches which it makes it kind of interesting i i can't imagine like i don't even understand how that would work like sometimes you throw submariner sometimes it's three quarters i'm not even sure what that gets you um but my problem i mean the the profile in terms of like his track record he's the kind of guy that you kind of have to sign as a journeyman because you know he has a track record of performance you know he's kind of a quad a guy um I think it speaks a lot to the fact that what Ben Rowan's primarily job has been is that when a random starter for Gwinnett needs to be called up to the Braves, his sole mission in life is to be the opener for three innings. You know what I mean? Um It's not that I don't like him because uh, I, because I, 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 I am intrigued by him, but he is a 30 year old reliever. He's been performing really well. I think his last, his last appearance wasn't particularly great, but, and you know, for a Braves bullpen that needs, you know, something to go right. And there's, no one's really holding on to those jobs. It wouldn't be crazy to me that maybe at some point they at least give him a try at least once. But overall, uh, it, and it was funny that the, uh, that uh, that someone responded kind of with that little nugget that he kind of did change his delivery up, or at least intermittently. Uh, I haven't had a chance to actually see him because generally what happens is if Rowan is starting, that means that either one of the guys that, that was at Gwinnett got called up and I'll be watching that game or there's been something else going on in the minor leagues. So I haven't actually had a chance to see him throw this year. But, um, you know, in terms of a profile, I don't might give my chance, but, you know, that's just me.
2: I will say I'm, I'm looking at this certain person's uh, Twitter history, and uh, it's pretty much all about Ben. So either a family member or, you know, maybe Ben Rowan just has a – Big big fans.
1: (laughs) Well, I I hope I hope that I hope and the information is useful. Don't get me wrong. And thank thank you for letting us know that he kind of made those changes to to his delivery, because I think that a change like that makes him interesting. I just don't necessarily know what the benefit. I mean, truthfully, I just don't know what the benefit is to that mechanical change that makes him profile better long term uh, and the bigger problem is that he's 30 years old and he kind of has an atypical delivery with stuff that is a little bit debatable um and you know it's a little bit iffy it's it's a hard profile for a reliever but one that he's made work so it's it's something we can't ignore um next question we have is from sam ruffner and uh, sam asks do ranked prospects perform better when playing together do you think Pache Waters would be performing as well as they were on separate teams, assuming the same level? Uh Gaurav, I'll let you talk about your boys first, and then I'll kick at the map.
0: Yeah,
2: it's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think that they perform better when they're playing together, but it definitely adds some fuel to the fire. You know, I'm sure they have uh, kind of daily goals where they try to beat each other. But I, as a whole, I, I don't really think it – Really makes too big of an impact uh, I think it's fun and I think it creates good competition but you're talking about two absolute studs of prospects with like incredible tools so while I like the story I just I don't see uh, I don't see any tangible proof that you know something like that actually happens
1: Matt what about you? I actually have to agree there too. It's interesting to me because of how they're being used, this specific tandem. I think that generally speaking, players, the results will be better and the numbers will be better if the players around them are better because you score more runs, you're like, more attention has have to be paid to the player at the plate or the player on the bases. And generally speaking, if your team is good, if your teammates are good, then it will be helpful for you. That said, what is interesting about this specific tandem is that Pache and Waters are, like, alternating starts in right field and center. I, Waters had a start in left the other day, but generally it's been, like they you know, one day Pache will be in center, and the other day, you know, Waters will be in right, and then they switch back and forth. Waters has been entrenched in the leadoff spot, and Pache has been has, has stuck in the second has, at second in the order. I could see a bit of competition happening there, but honestly, I think that unless they were in like a really a situation they really weren't enjoying, and like so, let's say they're both a double A, but like you know the you know the team was really bad, and they were, like it was in a really particularly bad area or something like you know like a, a town that they really hated. I mean, Pearl, Mississippi is not exactly a you know a metropolitan you know joy, but I, I don't see making that much of a difference but however i do i could see a certain amount of like a friendly rivalry particularly with the kind of knowing that you know drew is very like hard on himself and the competitive competitive guy i don't know if it necessarily drives Pache all that much but i do think that it might have some marginal benefit maybe just like marginal at best um i don't think it's something that's making them like hit the cover off the ball i think that they're going to have ebbs and flows uh we're seeing Pache going through a little bit of a a bit of a downswing hasn't had a particularly great last three games, but before that he was doing well and Pach and waters has had a really good few games. So I think we're going to see that back and forth. I think these guys are just really talented. Uh, And it's nice to think that maybe that they drive one another, but I think that these are two guys that are kind of are driven just generally. Um, Dan Brockett asks, how long would Pache and waters have to continue to rake to be promoted to AAA and how far ahead of their expected trajectory would that put them? Matt, I'm going to go to you first.
3: I can't see it happening before the all-star break in the minor leagues at this point. I mean this is a very aggressive assignment already. Putting them in triple A is another real aggressive assignment because although it doesn't sound like much, you're seeing big league pitching. I mean, the guys that you're facing in triple A, for the most part, it's not guys that are not close to the big leagues or working through a lot of things. These are basically the guys that are in the big league pitching staff, just numbered out because they're depth guys. I mean, they're essentially big league pitchers. So asking a kid that young to face a guy who's the 13th pitcher on the Yankees roster, for example, I mean, that's not exactly easy versus facing some 23, 24-year-old kid who still... I mean, it's still good competition and still significantly better than high A, and that's why AA is the first step up, but you're really starting to face another level once you reach AAA. And obviously it's another huge step up once you face big league pitching, but I, you just can't rush these kids with the bat, especially a guy like Pache who's still learning how to actually take better at bats at this point.
1: Rob, what about you, bud?
2: Yeah, for me, uh, it's I'm probably a little, yeah, I'm even more hesitant than, than Matt. There, I think it was just a crazy aggressive assignment for Drew. Uh, you knew Pasha was going to start in Mississippi because he was already there, and like he's raking and it's fantastic. But there's really no reason for them to be too aggressive. I personally. I, I see them staying in Mississippi the entire year and then perhaps next year they start in Gwinnett. I just I don't think you need to necessarily rush them, just let them work on what they need to work with in Mississippi and then starting next year start to you know, have them like Matt said, have them face the more refined talent, but they're still facing big league talent right now.
1: So I'll just go ahead and say this. I don't think that Drew Waters is getting promoted to AAA. If for no other reason that I think he's been hitting really well. There are things about his offensive profile, particularly you want. To, I want him to get as many at bats from the right side as possible, and not necessarily be put in like kind of that pressure cooker of like being right at AAA, right under the microscope. Uh, type of thing. I, I do want him to get more, and I want him to start drawing walks more. And I did not think that I was going to have to say that more about him than Pache at this point in the season. But here we are. Uh, We're you know about he has about 100 I guess 160 170 plate appearances right now, and he's drawn like eight walks this year, um, which isn't great. And I kind of want to see him when he's not kind of taking advantage of like getting some some pretty fair luck on balls in play. To kind of see him be able to still produce at a high level by, you know, taking better at bats and drawing some more walks. Um, it's kind of hard to expect that because he's, he's kind of hitting so well right now that, you know, obviously your bad bit's going to look good during those, during those hot streaks and you're not going to necessarily be taking as many pitches, but I kind of want to see that development in his game. Uh, he's looking really good defensively though. Um, Pache is more interesting to me as a potential call up around the, and Matt was, I think Matt's about right. At least the all-star break, uh, maybe a little bit after. Uh, Pache already had some time coming into the year in double-A, and so kind of if you give him that chunk of time plus maybe a little over half a season, that makes some sense to me to move him, but only if he's hitting. He's not a guy you have to rush. If for no other reason that one, Gwinnett already has a, a, an outfield that you kind of have to figure out what you want to do with those guys, whether it be to like you know, use them on the bench or possibly trade him in the case of Adam Duvall or move them up or whatever, because Austin Riley just took the outfield spot In Atlanta, and he's playing in left field right now. We don't know how long Ender's going to be out with that back issue. And that kind of makes these roster decisions a lot trickier. Now, if there's a situation where at the trade deadline or we're getting down to it and, you know, Austin still is still playing in the outfield or, you know, moving around between the outfield, third base, first base, you know, kind of moving around a little bit to kind of keep his bat in the lineup because, I mean, he's already two for two tonight, and he drove in a run um, just a little bit ago. If that's the case and you end up moving on from Ender or something like that happens, then you can kind of start making these decisions about maybe bringing up Pache and kind of seeing where he's at. But I'm not in the in, in both those guys' cases, I'm, I tend to agree with the other guys is that give these guys at bats and give them some time because honestly right now there's not a, a huge rush, a, a huge need for them. You know, if the Braves decide they want to move on from Nick Markekis at the end of the year for whatever reason, Uh, and then they need to rely on one of Pache or Waters. You can still make that same decision. I mean, it's not the craziest notion to call up someone from AA anyway. But right now, I don't see the need to push them that far, especially since they've already kind of semi-converted Austin Riley into an outfielder and they have some guys on their bench that can, you know, play some outfield spots too if necessary. Um, the next one's from, next question is from Daniel and it says, what's up with Kyle Wright this year? Is it just his struggles sustaining Velo and facing orders second and third times through? If so, could he be a wrong a long reliever candidate? Matt, I'm to throw this one to you, to you first, and now I've got some thoughts.
3: So this is the same thing that happened to Kyle his junior year at Vanderbilt when he came out. And remember, he came into that year as the likely number one pick overall, but he was not very good at all to start the year to the point where some people were actually talking about him falling out of the first round altogether. I mean, he was overthrowing and overthinking things And it makes sense because he had a lot of pressure on him thinking, I need to go out and perform and show I am the number one pick this year because while he was considered the number one, it was no guarantee he would be the number one. And I think it's just a case of that right now. I mean, if you remember, there were scouts that were saying this was the best pitcher in Florida this spring. He came out on the opening series, looked great against Philly. I mean, he battled the cold and struggled a little with command because of that. Because you can't really control the ball in that kind of cold. But from there, it's just been downhill in the major leagues. Gets sent down, struggles in AAA. And I really think it's just a matter. I mean, the stuff is there. He's a smart kid. He knows what he's doing. But I think he's just putting a lot of pressure on himself and overthrowing and overthinking things right now. And just needs a break and to get his head right to get back to what he is and what we know he can be just like he did that junior at Vanderbilt when he turned himself back into another candidate for the first overall pick yet again, by the end of that spring.
1: So I have kind I wouldn't say famously, but I have been, I think lower on right historically than you guys have. And my reasoning for that has been, partially commands, and like that we're kind of seeing some of that i mean like it's not like news and it's not doesn't take require a a lot of insight to see to see that you know he's had command issues in the past my issue primarily has been that he looks great the first time through an order and then one of two things well i say that one of three things happens either he ends up he's had he has had plenty of good outings you know that gone six or seven innings and you know he, he's he's looked like the one of the top pro- pitching prospects in baseball. And my my qualm is not with the stuff. It's not with like you know it, it it's not like no injury stuff. It's not anything like that. I think that you know his pitches are graded correctly. I think that he is a really like a top like a really good starting pitching prospect. My primary problem has always been is that this, the that second time through the order, he'll have some starts where he gets through that and he just mows through him and everything goes well, or either his approach changes and he starts like nibbling and like not attacking hitters. And like, he gets himself in these bad situations where he'll walk a couple guys and then he, he's forced to kind of like groove pitches to kind of push strikes over or the command completely goes away altogether. And like, it's not a matter of he's not trying to attack hitters. It's that he can't. And, you know, all of a sudden pitchers are all over the place. He'll bury pitches in the dirt. The, you know, the, the, the breaking ball goes away and, I don't really know what to attribute that to. I tend to agree with Matt that there's something mentally that I, I want—I want to say—is wrong, but because that implies something that I don't mean. It's more that I don't understand how to fix it. It's a, very similar to a, a Sean Newcomb problem, right? Because like the stuff's there, and he'll look great for a little while, and then all of a sudden the wheels come off, and that's what happens with Wright. Is that the wheels come off, and all of a sudden he'll have a big a big inning and a bad inning, and the overall line looks really bad, and it doesn't really tell the whole story. I don't really know what the, exactly what the answer is. I, the short answer to your last question, the, do I think he's a, l- a long-relief option? I think you'll probably see some time getting called up here and there to be a long reliever, mainly because the Braves just need bodies there right now, and there's not a spot for him in the rotation at the moment. Um, but in terms of like that's his long-term spot, I still think he's a starter. I still think he can figure it out. Uh, the stuff's too good, and, and it's kind of similar to what we thought about Fulte, and we've thought about other guys in the past. Newcomb's another example, is that the stuff is so good when he's good. That you have to at least you have to make sure that he really does fail as a starter before you convert him into a bullpen role. And I again, I still really like him, but there's concerns that I've had for a while now. Certainly since his time in Mississippi, um, and even maybe a little bit of time before. Maybe a little bit of concerns coming out of the draft. But again, he kind of what Matt was talking about was true. Is they kind he kind of came back, but that second half of the that his last year in college and kind of disprove some of that. But I mean, a lot, there's similar issues and there are parallels to be drawn. I just don't know if it's something that's going to continually repeat itself. Um, And it's something that I don't really know how to put my, put my finger on. Because it doesn't seem like it's something mechanically. It's not one pitch that's kind of, that's kind of failing him. It's just that he's just kind of that, that second time, second time, third time through the order. He just starts looking a little rough and I don't, I don't necessarily even think it's a velocity problem. I think it's just kind of how he's choosing to go about, attacking hitters that that next time through and it's kind of that's a that's a tougher problem to solve um next question we have from patrick mccarthy who uh has is a champion question answer by the way patrick you know every time i do A Q&A on twitter every time we do these mailbags you're always in on them greatly appreciate you following along and asking questions and participating we really appreciate it um he asks what's going on with ian anderson he seems to be struggling in most of his starts especially with walks are you guys concerned rob i'm gonna kick it to you first
2: you know, he's, he's a bit of an enigma. Uh, you look at the walk rate and you're like, oh crap. But then you see what, even despite like these obvious slight mechanical issues he's having, which is what I believe is the issue, he's still striking out almost 12 for 9. So am I worried about him long term? No. I still think that his ceiling is, you know, I mean, I did have him above Mike Soroka and I know Eric wanted to kill me. Uh, but like and look just, how wrong you were just just, just pure just, just pure stuff you know I, Ian Anderson is incredible. Uh, he just needs a little more a little more time. He's still very very young. Uh, it could be it could be a little not aggravating, but it could be a little frustrating because you know he's ready to take that next step. He's ready to take that next step to become that elite pitching prospect but there's always these slight mechanical changes that cause him to kind of lose like confidence in himself almost uh and then he'll fix it he'll write the ship and then something will happen again and then he'll have like three bad outings and then he'll be absolutely dynamic for a month straight where he'll strike out like 11 per 11 per 9 while walking under 2 and then he'll have one rough start and he'll kind of you know, compound himself. But that's just part of being a professional player. You know, he's gonna he's gonna learn how to get it how to put it all together, how to become more consistent, how to turn these bad outings around and, and show up the next game. Like I'm I'm fully confident in him, I'm fully confident in his skill set. I still think that he has the highest ceiling of any prospect we have, or any pitching prospect we have. Uh so am I concerned? No. Am I frustrated? Yes. Do I think it's going to be a problem for the entire season? No, not at all. Matt, what about you, Bud?
3: I think the command has definitely taken a slight step back so far this year, and I want to say that might actually be because the breaking balls have been slightly less than what they were in the past. They've gone slightly downhill, and this is not just my opinion. It's something I've heard from others as well, and I mean, that would definitely make sense that because the breaking ball isn't quite what it was, that he's not also commanding that because of the slight change to it and it's something that I want to watch a little bit more going forward just to see and I'm really thinking that he might actually be down a slight amount not a full grade but maybe from a future 60 value to maybe a future 55 value overall as a pitcher at. I'm thinking that might be where he's at right now, as compared to where he came at, came in at the spring. But of course, if he's able to get that breaking ball right to exactly where we saw last year, he can immediately tick back up to that future
2: sixty value.
1: I don't think that the 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 secondaries have been as good as they were last year. My one of my problem, and like this is again these are these are limited looks. Uh, we're, we're talking about. 35 innings this year, just for, just for the reference. But he's he's walked 28 batters in 35 and two thirds this year, which is not good. That's but that I think that pace. I agree with Grov is unsustainably bad. He's just not. He's just better than that. Uh, we've never seen him walk that many guys, and I don't think that like the strike zone in the Mississippi or the hitters in in Double A are so much better at taking balls that like that's the guy he is. I think that that in general it's unsustainably bad. Um, I I do agree with Matt that the command is kind of taking a step back. Uh, particularly those breaking pitches. But the part of me that is almost concerned is that his fastball command, I mean, what used to happen uh, in previous seasons was that if he didn't have his breaking stuff, he could still pipe that fastball, particularly at the top of the zone, and still get it for strikes and get guys to swing at it. And it seems like guys aren't biting on it. And it seems to be not something he's commanding as well either, which is that that compounds every problem. Because if, if you have command of your fastball, you can kind of get away with not having the best command of your secondary pitches because, you know, players are having the respect to the fastball and, you know, those you'll get those really bad swings on like those balls in the dirt, things like that. And, Especially if you're kind of getting the same the same tunnel on your pitches, where you know it looks the same for you know that first third of the way to the plate, the batter starts to swing until he realizes it's you know it's diving away from him, it's sliding away from him, or it's a change up. And because he's not commanding any of his pitches, he has to at least command the fastball, and it doesn't seem like he is uh, on a consistent basis. He's still striking out batters, and honestly, the results haven't been that bad. It's not like we're talking about a guy who has an ERA of nine this year. You know what I mean? It's a guy that, you know, has just looked consistent from a, inconsistent from a command perspective, and it kind of makes you worry that you're giving the, up this many free passes. What's going to happen when he's going against more and more advanced hitters and better hitters? But I uh, tend to agree with Garov that it's a little bit frustrating to watch, and I think it might have, his stock may have taken a, a ding. But again, he's another guy that I haven't been super, I haven't been as high on as others. But my primary reason for that was because I didn't think that. Uh, during his season in Rome, that I thought he was completely healthy. Uh, I don't have any reason to believe that he hasn't been healthy. It's more of a question now of you know what, what's going on with this command, and in particular, like he has to at least command the fastball correct. Well, if once he can get if he can at least get one of those pitches, he should be in good shape.
2: And that's that's the thing, and that's why I, I don't take too much stock in it, is because hitters are still not hitting him. Right? He's he's hitters are hitting a, like, have a 622 uh, opposing uh, OPS against him. And that's mainly inflated by that walk rate. Like, he's yep. got a 285 slugging percentage against. Like, people are still not hitting against him at all. He's causing damage to himself. And that's why I'm not, like, I'm sure I'll, I'll make sure to do what Matt said. And I'm going to watch his breaking pitches next time and see if I notice anything different. But, like, I just, I, that's why I don't take too much stock into it. It looks like he's just hurting himself right now. And it's a little bit mental and I still fully believe that he's going to write this ship and uh, he'll be fine by the end of the season.
1: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
0: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price
2: line.
1: Yeah, now that we, all three of us have, like, voiced our concerns about it, it's almost like given he's going to go eight innings and strike out 14 batters the next time going out. Because I think that actually happened the last time we, like, le- the, la- the last iteration of Road to Atlanta, we were worried about, you know, I Ian mean, was, like, walking too many guys, and then he, like, had some insane start for Rome or something like that.
2: I mean, I should just tweet about it, and he'll end up with, like, negative three walks to his next appearance. <laughs>
1: Yeah, they actually, like, you know, give him, like, actually, you know, we're going to take a few off his your previous line. It was so good. Uh, that'd, be, that'd be funny. Um, next question we've got is from Anonymous, uh, which says, Do Carlos Paraguate and Darlington Florentino in Rome turn into anything special, or do they have a long way to go? Uh, I'm going to throw it to Matt first because he's seen them very recently live. Uh, I'm actually going to see them. Well, I won't see Darlington because he's hurt, uh, but uh, I'm going to go see them tomorrow. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on those two guys? I first want to say, you, you've called him Darlington. He's actually just
3: Darling. But, uh, Darling, both, Darling, Darling. Yeah. Yeah, both of those guys are extremely raw. Both of those guys are going to take a very long time. Both of those guys have real talent in them. But neither of them is going to be ready anytime time in the next four years. For sure. I mean, these guys are five years out if they make it. They're that kind of player. They're lottery tickets who are probably a good five years away from the big leagues if they're ever going to make it. They need to work significantly on their hit tool. Their defense, particularly Paraguay, is shown potential, but that needs some work to actually gain consistency. I mean, Darling is definitely behind defensively, but Darling has significant power, but he he's the John Daly of... Low a, He just wants to rip it and rip it. He swings through the fences every time. Uh, there's huge size. There's plenty of athleticism in his large body. I mean, he's obviously a guy that the Braves are confident in enough that they're willing to challenge him as a 17-year-old by starting him in full season. Now, I get that part of that has something to do with the sanctions taking away some of the numbers and us being a little light in the farm system at that level, but they're still willing to give him the chance instead of signing some low-A minor league free agent that they could just put in the lineup. So, I mean, that does speak to what you have in him. Um, Paraguante is definitely the speed and defense type, and he's got a little bit more pop in his back than you'd ever expect by looking at his frame and looking at his numbers, but he definitely needs to learn how to make more consistent contact, but both of these guys do have potential.
1: Gruff, what about you, bud?
2: I can't wait until the two of them join Izzy Wilson to create like one of the most dynamic teams of all time. Like <laughs> that? No, I like, pretty much what Matt said. You know, they're they're super raw. There's like I, I, I personally am not gonna like. I don't know. It, there's there's just so much that they need to improve on right now before. We, we, you know, kind of talk too much about them. I do like what we, I do remember your first DM about Darling Eric and you're just like, that was a massive man, like a mountain of a man. I, I, in a I swear uniform.
1: I thought, I swear I thought I was looking at a 21 year old and I'm like, who is that? And then someone said it was Florentino. I was like, are you serious? Like I've, in terms of pure, like, like as a physical specimen, there he, he, he really stood out. And then we started watching them during the workout, and it, it, a lot of swings looked like he was on roller skates, like his feet didn't really seem to be under him. Very similar to what we saw, like, early Rome Christian Pace. It's like, you know, like it just felt like he was always off balance. Um, and I I like the, the potential for both these guys, but we're talking about a guy who had uh, – we're talking about a guy who like in Darlington in Darling who has a like sub 6 a sub 600 ops and then we have Carlos Perguate who currently has a sub 500 ops i like Paraguate defensively he he does seem to have some smooth actions in the infield florentino is a little bit more of a like you know seems a little stiffer and it's kind of hard to see it's hard to see what he could be simply because he's so raw and he seems like he's still kind mean, of learning
2: things. I mean, you're talking about someone who should be facing high school talent right now. He's so young. Like it's just really, really too tough to evaluate him, uh, against his competition. It's almost unfair. Like, like Matt said, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with our, the low minors just being kind of devoid of, of, of players because of the sanctions. Uh, there's just, yeah, they're so far away that I'm I'm happy that we've created this culture where people are asking these questions because that's incredible, and I love how people know guys like this, but it's not really someone that's necessarily on the radar for at least like three years to me.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a while on those guys. Um, they're nice to dream about, nice to kind of keep tabs on because, again, they were really young when they got added to Rome's roster, but... Don't, don't get your hopes up about them appearing on a top 30 prospect list anytime soon. Um, Ryan Hutchin asks, uh, how hard is it to gauge position player versus pitcher stats when going from high A Florida to double A Mississippi or triple A since the FSL is such a pitcher friendly league? Do you, do you just take some stats with a grain of salt for both hitters and pitchers at high A? Uh, I don't want to d- dwell on this too long guys because we want to try to get through this without, you know, making the podcast run too, too long. So I'll go to Gaurav first.
2: Uh, ish. You know, I-, I tend to shy away from making too many claims about someone until I actually see see them at least like uh see them on MILB TV. Like, and it's not really something we can do. And they're IA, so I I tend to not evaluate too much with players in that league. Matt, what about you?
3: Really, the only thing that I try to evaluate stat wise without actually seeing a player, is the strikeout rate for a hitter. I mean, obviously, it's hard to really judge by scouting a stat line, but if a guy's striking out 35 or 40% of the time, you can clearly see that the guy's got major hit tool issues. But other than that, it's more about actually seeing the player and watching them on video, watching them live, than just looking at a stat line. I mean, the stats are comparable in some way, but you really have to know what you're looking at to be able to compare that because you're looking at, let's say, and I realize this isn't in the Brave system, but how can you compare a guy from Rome to a guy from Asheville in the Sally League because Asheville is one of the most hitter-friendly parks out there. So you're going to have to compare not just third baseman to third baseman, for example, but you're going to have to compare third baseman in more of a neutral type stadium to third basement in an extreme hitters park at that same level. And obviously when you get up to high A, you're talking about the Florida state league, which is notoriously pitcher friendly, the California league, which is probably the most hitter friendly league out there, which includes the PCL. And you're also talking about the Carolina league, which is more of a neutral environment compared to the other ones. And then AA has its own set of environments, so you really have to take all that into account.
1: It's definitely trickier for us because we've, we've certainly tried to scout the Florida State League before, uh, and our experience is there that it rains in Florida every day. And it's impossible.
2: Then, they never play baseball for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and we've seen this happen. Like the the Fire Frogs had to play three games in 24 hours, like just this week, because there were so many rainouts. They had to try to squeeze as many games. As, I think it was three games. It might have been four, uh, but I think it was just the three. And like it's it, that whole league and that whole situation is really tough. What I would say for you is, yes, you should take everything these this, the numbers that you can't with a grain of salt. Uh, especially since you can't watch them live whether it be a stream unless you're like they're they're in Bradenton which I think is the only Florida State team uh, Florida State league that has a stream and but look at batted ball profiles at least look for improvements there. A good example there is Grayson Janista. While his numbers don't look great this year, it's worth noting that he's still walking a good bit. Also, he's increased his fly ball rate, which is going to be worse in that league. And he's kind of, he's pulling the ball more. There are things about his peripherals that don't necessarily show up in the stat lines that you would normally look at. But in terms of those batted ball profiles of like how things are changing and he's hitting less ground balls and hitting more line drives and more fly balls, those are things we all look at too. Um, so the short answer is yes, we take things with a great assault. Uh, coming out of the Florida State Leap, we do our best to talk to people who are who are actually watching these games. Uh, I was actually talking to a couple people earlier this week about a couple players down there, and it's it's tricky to be sure, especially since we're uh, both Groff and I are in Georgia and Matt's all the way up in Pittsburgh, uh, and it's tricky to kind of see these, some of these guys live, uh, but. At the end of the day, you have to kind of at least get what information you can, as well as just try to make sure you can find some people who have seen them live as well and put together as complete a picture as you can until they get out of that uh, league, which I hope that they won't be in that particular location for much longer anyway. Uh, I'm going to throw this question only to Gaurav because I think Matt has a little bit of a surprise question to end the podcast. Um, this is from John Gree. Is Travis Demerit for real? Gaurav, what do you think?
2: Yeah, so this is something I actually would love to talk about, and I do, I do think it is legitimate. Uh, his hit tool, he's hitting a little higher than expected at 298, that's just not, that's not who he is as a player. I, I expect that to go down just a bit, but he's still walking at an elite rate. The slugging percentage is back up to something that we expect, I'm sure some of it's inflated with the AAA ball, but uh, his OBP and slugging has always been his bread and butter. He's always done well. And now his hit tool looks like it's starting to come around. He's becoming a sh- crazy balance at the plate. Now he's pulling the ball as much as he's going the opposite field. Uh He's the, everything else is, is, roughly this roughly the same. The line drive rate went back up to normal careers uh, back when I think his, his line drive rate is actually as, as high or almost as high as it was back when he was uh, a Ranger. And when everyone was really talking about him a whole lot, like, I, I do think it's real. I, I think expect the batting average to go down. I I, I don't think because his swing is so conducive to to generate backspin that he is going to have you know he's going to strike out a good amount because of the like the the level that his bat goes through. But I I think I think this is real. I think he's legitimate. You know he's not going to be this like incredible stud, but he's going to be an extremely versatile player that can play many positions. Think Johan Camargo, like. I would, I'd say very similar type players right now and, you know, let him play out the season in AAA. I know he's getting, he's 25, 24, 25 now. i say let him finish out unless he's absolutely killing the ball. And then seriously consider him in Atlanta for, to create like almost this incredible bench uh, up and up over in Atlanta. Like when you're thinking about all these players, yeah, the Braves could have a, Crazy complete team next year, and it's getting me a little excited.
1: Yeah, I think we forget a little bit about Demerit's utility, um, because he played mostly in the infield for the longest time, and then he kind of converted to the outfield, uh, starting last year in double A. I think it'd be kind of like almost the inverse of Camargo, and that he'd like see more time in the outfield than in the infield, but I think he could I mean, we we thought he was a, like a plus defender at second base, uh, third base, I don't think he enjoys a whole lot, but he, he could feasibly do it, and I think that's his best path because if any player is going to benefit from the, the new baseball in AAA as well as in the major leagues, it's going to be Travis Demerit just because of his bat path, kind of how his, his overall batting profile and things like that. I think he could end up being a really interesting player. Uh, I, I wouldn't call this, I wouldn't call like a 900 OPS, like that's what he's going to be when he gets to the majors, if, and when he gets to the majors, but I think he could have value. Uh, and I think that's the important thing. Now, Matt, yeah. may, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I would expect, you know, batting average to be like 265 to 270, which means his OBP would be closer to like the 350 range. And then you bring down the OPS a whole lot. But the slugging at 526, I, 450 to 5, uh, 425 to, to 490 is probably his sweet spot, I would say. Uh, but yeah, you know, he's, a, he's kind of a kind of a complete player. I like what he's putting together and I really hope that it, it continues.
1: So now we have a note here from our own Matt Powers that he has a question that he wants to ask Rav and I, So we are all ears, bud. What's up? So this
3: is not a normal
1: question for us.
3: It's a topic that we wouldn't necessarily touch on normally, but I think it actually is very relevant timeline-wise. So back in the off-season, the Braves got a lot of negative attention because they didn't make a big move. And one of the biggest moves that they came really close on was getting J.T. Realmuto from the Marlins. Obviously, he went to the Phillies. But if you remember, one of the biggest pieces involved in getting him was Austin Riley, which obviously plays into the right now factor for this. And that's what I'm going to actually touch on. So knowing what you know now, and we're only a couple of months after the trade at this point, and you know Riley's going to be up for the year because they didn't recall Austin Riley to be up for two weeks to send him back down when they could have just brought up Adam Duvall. So who would you rather have right now today, both for this year and for going forward? Would you rather have Real Muto in the lineup, or would you rather have Riley? Obviously, you do have to factor in age, the fact that JT is going to need a new contract soon, and he's going to make quite a bit of money, and the fact that Contreras is also in the minor leagues. I mean, which side would you prefer, both right now and in the future? At this point,
1: do you want to hit and handle it first, or you want me to go?
2: Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go. This is a this is an interesting question because it shouldn't be interesting. Like, it should be a very open and shut case. You're talking about a multi All Star. Catcher, who has one of the most dynamic skill sets at that position. But when you factor in everything else, you, you talk about the, the upcoming uh, contract. Um, it, it creates a little uncertainty, and it's really surprising. Uh, I think I have to be responsible and say JT, but the fact that this is an actual question makes me very happy inside.
1: Yeah, my issue with some of the sort of hindsight stuff is that no one in this, th- in the three of us thought that Austin Riley was going to be mashing at AAA and in the major leagues the way he is right now. And that doesn't necessarily, we did, we, we we've, we've liked him for a, we've liked him for a long time. We've probably liked him and known about him longer than most, right? So I don't necessarily think that it's, Fair to say that the Braves like really got lucky to not trade for Real Muto because Real Muto has still been good this year. Uh, the, the like the, the overall offensive profile hasn't been exactly what we expected to see from him, uh, and what we had seen from him from the Marlins. But getting that from a premium position, even for uh, just a couple years, is a big deal. I mean, we're not talking about just a rental; you get an extra year out of him. However, I will say this: uh, I tend to agree with Garov that I, I think that the, the correct answer is still you prefer Real Muto. Um, you can revisit this down the line, and if you know Austin Riley has thirty home runs at the end of the year, then obviously that changes the calculus a bit. But we're still talking about a guy who's still just a prospect and who still has had a track record of some things that haven't always gone right. And while that's an easy thing to to talk about, you know, like look how good he's hitting now, look how dumb these guys were for wanting to trade for Real Muto, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the the bigger problem was that it wasn't just that the Braves had to trade Austin Riley. It was that they're going to have to trade a big package. The, the the Phillies put together a real package to go get it, uh, to, to to go get Real Muto. And I, I respect that. It wasn't just simply, you know, the Braves were unwilling to trade Austin Riley. It was just the the sheer amount of the whole package. Um, but I will say this. JT Real Muto is going to be a free agent at some point. And it's probably going to – and I don't necessarily think that he would ex- – It's not a given that he extends with Philly. And if that's the case, there is a situation, particularly with the the Braves' current timeline. It depends a little bit on William Contreras, but it's still possible. I would laugh so hard. If if Real Moto just ends up as a Brave anyway. You know what I mean? It might not maybe not the trade that they were one that we were hoping for this for this year. But it's not it's not a crazy notion to think that you know the Braves could see maybe Contreras isn't the long term answer. I still think Contreras is really good. But you know, maybe that they go ahead and get real Muto anyway, just in free agency. So that's my long, long story short. Saying that I would, I would still think it's real Muto, uh, just because of the certainty at a position, at a premium position. But the Braves are not in a bad position right now. I mean, the catching platoon. I mean, Flowers and McCann have been really, really good, and and obviously Riley's been at a catcher, and Riley's been really good. You know, this year in general. So it's not something that I lose a lot of sleep over either. If that makes any sense. And I
3: actually have the opposite opinion of both of you guys. I mean, if you remember anything that I said in the offseason, I was higher than anyone on our catchers presently. I'm talking Cannon Flowers here, that I thought those guys are a significantly above average catcher. I mean, when you combine them into one position instead of two different guys, when you look at their combined production, you're getting a very good offensive catcher, and you're getting a lot of veteran leadership from that. And I think while I didn't expect Riley to be this good, I did expect him to be up fairly early in the season. I was probably thinking June or so at the start of the year. And he adds something that the Braves don't have, and they still wouldn't have had if they had JT, because Riley's probably the best pure power threat in that lineup right now. And JT definitely would not have been that guy. So you're saving money. You're saving Riley plus whatever else you were going to have to give, and there was definitely quite a bit more. You're saving money, even though it's a slight downgrade at catcher, and I, I don't think it's quite as big as the downgrade that some people would have made it out to be. Obviously, having JT in there is the best catcher in the game, but the guys that we have in there right now for everything they bring, the complete package they're very good, and having that extra power threat in there plus having the age that you're going to have to give JT that big contract that to actually keep him and make that trade package worth it definitely puts things in the favor of Riley's side for me.
1: See, that's where it gets a little bit tricky for me, and we'll, we'll just end here and say that there are positives for the Braves not doing that deal right, is that they're you know they still get to keep riley obviously he's been really good i didn't necessarily think he was going to be up by june mainly because the the primary problem was that since he wasn't getting time in the outfield particularly in spring training and we don't that his place as an outfielder wasn't something that we were necessarily factoring in for because the braves signed donaldson it makes it tricky to try to get him in there unless donaldson's injured long term and that kind of creates separate problems right but the the This is something we can revisit once we get through the whole season, and then we see how the 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 catching tandem of Flowers and McCann performs. Because I completely agree; they've been insanely good. I think it's been like, I mean, catcher's been one of the better positions in the lineup just because Flowers was really hot. McCann's been the McCann has had has had his moments and has been driving in runs. And you know, in terms of like you know managing and pitching staff, you can't ask for two better guys. I, I completely agree with that. But these are two older catchers, and I don't necessarily want to put a grade on a move when we're kind of – part of it we're factoring in is just how good McCann and Flowers have been when we, we don't know how they're going to be overall a full season. And I just don't know if both those guys are going to make it through a full season healthy. I mean we already saw McCann miss some time uh, with a hamstring thing, and it's just a hamstring. We haven't had to recently. That's something that's lingering. Uh, he's still been playing recently, and he's been playing well at that. But I don't necessarily want to draw too many conclusions from that sample size to say the Braves ended up better overall, because I think that there's room for both Rio Muto to be better in Philadelphia and for the players that we're talking about on the Braves side to be worse. And I I don't think there's necessarily a wrong answer, really, because, I mean, like, obviously the Braves have turned out really well for them in the short term uh, in terms of not having to give up these real assets. And the biggest part, I think, is what Matt Madison matches is the extra part of that package is going to be Austin Riley plus other real, like major league ready assets. And that's, that's a big package to give up for any player. And the Phillies, you know, they ponied up and they gave up Sixto Sanchez. They gave up, you know, they gave up a, a, like a major league ready catcher. They, they gave up a lot of real assets to go get him. And, you know, I can respect it, but for me, I, I think it's still, I would prefer real Muto, but at the same time, I respect the decision not to, especially since I don't know exactly what Miami wanted in terms of the overall the overall package. But if it's just like you know, well, thank God they didn't get rid of Austin Riley. That's not it's not just trading away Austin Riley. It's just that that total package. If that's too much, it's too much and you can't do it. And that's that's kind of where my general thought process is. Um, any last thoughts before we let our listeners go?
3: That's it for me at this point. I'm just. Excited to get on next week and talk to Carlos and talk more draft because I can't wait to talk more draft.
2: That'll be another episode where I just sit here because Carlos is, like, seriously one of the most intelligent baseball minds I've ever come across. So it's going to be fun to, to just
1: shut he's up not, to he's, he's, to he's, he's, and to Matt Carlos. He's, he's, he's not here yet, Garov. You don't have to start sucking up to him yet.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Although Garov
3: is not wrong, Carlos is great. I mean, as much as I know about the draft carlos definitely knows more
2: i am hoping i'm hoping he gets mad at me because of my top 900 and then a week later he had to put out a piece that was like the top 400 in the draft or something like that i'm I'm hoping he brings that up
3: i think he might be a little mad at me at the moment because i without realizing it and i i want to apologize to him i criticized uh Eric's tweet last week about Langleyer's being a possibility for the Braves at 9 not realizing that Carlos had just put a mock draft up with Braves taking him at 9 so I had not (laughs) realized it and started criticizing it and Carlos jumped in and made a comment on that and I'm thinking he might have been defending his information there and I did not see that at that point, I saw Mm -hmm. it after the fact but Sorry, Carlos. Uh,
1: well, I've talked to Carlos since then, and you know he's certainly willing to come on the podcast, if only to shout at Matt, and that's totally fine with me. Um, but we're looking forward to hearing from Carlos next week to talk about the draft. We're in, uh, lots of draft talks have been coming up. I'm just going to give you guys a heads up about that now. That's why we did the mailbag episode, because we're going to try to get you caught up on prospect stuff, because the next few weeks for us, uh, leading up to the draft, it's going to be a lot of draft talk, just because that's going to be a it's going to be a big part of the year, both for the site uh, as well as to kind of what we're doing, because this is going to be a big part of what the Braves are going to be adding to the farm system over the next few years. We don't expect them to have a higher a high draft pick going forward. They're not going to be signing guys in the, internet, the international free agent market for the next couple of years. So this is going to be kind of this is going to be the wave that's going to be like the last wave for a while, without kind of really digging in with the scouting department and maybe getting a little bit lucky in some later round picks. Um, so with all that said, guys, make sure you to follow the podcast on Twitter at Road the Number Two Atlanta. Uh, you can always, if you want to listen to this podcast or if you want to listen to the Talking Chop podcast, you only need to subscribe to one feed. That's the Talking Chop, uh, the Talking Chop feed on iTunes. You can find it on, find us on various platforms, uh, Stitcher. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us all over the place. Uh, if you, and we we really appreciate all the support from the, since the podcast has came back, it's been a lot of fun for us. Uh, before, um, unless we have anything else, guys, we'll see you on the road.
0: What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to The Future of Entrepreneurship, of Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.